there's only one way to fail and it's when you quit, when you give up. Everything else is learning. And I don't say that to be cute. I say that because if I look back on our journey, it's a journey of evolution. So how you respond to, let's say, bad news, bad situations, or so-called problems really dictates the growth and progress that you make. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. This is Jessica, head of coaching strategy at Crisp, and today we're flipping the script for another special edition episode to get Michael's take on the power of delayed gratification when growing a business, how failure can lay the groundwork for success, and why there are no shortcuts to personal development. The problem with all these different shortcuts is this is the stuff that lures people in that just becomes harder later to unwind and you keep chasing the next shortcut because more time is passing and you're like, well, that didn't work, then this didn't work and you jump around from tactic to tactic to tactic. You never really gain any ground and you drown yourself in these nonsense tactics. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. All right, Michael, great to be back for another AMMA. Excited to be back. So I will say the feedback that we've gotten from the team is that these have become some of our most popular episodes of the podcast. And we do three different types of episodes. So we've got our traditional interview format where we interview somebody from the legal industry and beyond. Those happen. Then there's also episodes that we bring back, like our encore editions that are some of our most popular episodes in the podcast. And then we started this segment a few months ago, the AMMAs, Ask Me Anything, you guys submit the questions, usually text us at 404-531-7691, and then we answer them on the podcast. And it's wild to me that people enjoy these things. I thought we were just going to do this one time to fill a gap somewhere, and then someone said, no, I liked it a lot, let's do it again, because it's just me ranting for 20 or 30 minutes. But people seem to enjoy these. We'll keep doing these as long as we get great feedback. So what are we doing today, Jessica? Well, I just want people to experience the same rants that I get. So that's why we're doing this. <laughs> this is part of our uh, daily lives. Now, for those of you that are watching this podcast, I don't know if you're watching a video bit, or you're watching it on YouTube. We do come out with a video version of the podcast, too. And in fact, I learned there's some people that watch just the videos. They don't listen to it in audio. You will notice that your boy right here is a little scruffier than normal because it's going to come up in the comments. Somebody's going to ask about it, like, why did Mike shave for the podcast? So I got a good answer for you. For those of you that are hockey fans that follow the NHL, what happens when a team gets into the playoffs? Well, you see the players start to grow out their beards and they got their playoff beards. Now, as we are roughly 40 days out from the Game Changers Summit, I start to get a little bit scruffier, start to get into the content, I'm not shaving my beard. It's kind of a superstitious thing. I mean, I'll shave it the day before the summit. And plus, for me, I can go a month and still not have a beard. So you don't really have anything to worry about. But I look like Tom Hanks Castaway. That's what I look like the day before the Game Changers Summit. And then the day of the Game Changers Summit, you would have no idea that this guy looked like someone who was speaking to a volleyball named Wilson. So anyway, if you're wondering, that's why. Glad we cleared that up. I'm sure somebody's going to be wondering. All right, let's get to the questions. All right. So going through these, I always like to pick a theme. And this week, I really was able to get questions around delayed gratification. So 
I'm going to kick this off with the first one. So, Michael, I have read studies showing that individuals who are able to delay gratification tend to be more successful in life, including financially. From your personal experience, do you find this to be true? Yes. And if answer. Next question. I'm just, yeah, come on. Look, you've read studies. I mean, the most famous study here is probably that marshmallow study, right? When they gave the kids one marshmallow and they say, look, if you delay gratification, we'll give you a second marshmallow. If you don't eat the first one, then you get a second one. And they followed those kids through adult lives and they found that the ones that practiced delayed gratification when they were younger would be more successful when they were older. Absolutely. It's absolutely true. In fact, I saw on Reddit a few weeks back in one of the subreddits, somebody was asking the question of what is the trait that separates the most successful, wealthiest people from the least successful. And there was all sorts of comments in there saying rich people are evil and like it's horrible and it's inheritance and generational wealth and the system structures of government and all that. And I said, okay, once you rule all that out, I'm not going to say there isn't a degree of that that applies to a small percentage of individuals, the Waltons, for example, you were born in the Walmart family. Like, yes, you're wealthy day one. But what we're really talking about, if you want something practical, Let's take inheritance out of the equation. I mean, I never had an inheritance. I would say the one trait that separates the most successful people from the least successful people is that the most successful ones practice delayed gratification, that they do not have to win today, that they can focus on tomorrow. And it's interesting because we did a podcast a few weeks ago where I shared my daily routine. Because a lot of people are asking, like, what's your daily routine? And I don't know if we've ever gotten more negative feedback from an episode than that. Okay, now there's a lot of positive feedback, of course, but the negative voices are the loud ones. We talked about that as of this year, I don't have any meetings until noon. I drop our girls off. We go together in the mornings to drop them off at school. I wake up, I do the sauna, I do the cold plunge, I exercise, I'm journaling, I'm meditating. I do a lot of these, in quotes, self-care practices before I go into the office. And I got a whole lot of the, that must be nice stuff, right? Someone said, well, I can't do that. Well, of course you can't. It would be preposterous if you could. I mean, think about it. If you could just decide today to say that you're not going to come in until noon and that you're going to go from working, I don't know, 70, 80 hours a week to maybe 30 hours a week and you don't have the right people in place, you don't have any systems in your business, you don't have a support team, there's really no capability there that's been established, you haven't dedicated years to putting those right pieces in place, then what do you think is going to happen? Of course you can't. You can't just say like, today I decide I'm going to work half the amount of time I was working previously and I'm going to like sit back and go sit in saunas and cold plunges and make eight figures passively. If you could, how disrespectful would that be? Think about it. Imagine that you could make that decision and then all those things would happen without putting any of the pieces in place, without any of the focus, the commitment, the dedication, the long hours, the seven day work, all the things you have to do, the sweat equity that you have to put in over years to establish those systems, those structures, to get the right people in place, to build a great organization. Imagine you could skip all that and just make a decision. I'm going to work half the amount of hours and then everything's going to be wonderful. How disrespectful that would be to those who do do those things. So of course that doesn't work. The laws of physics do not allow it. So the reason why I share that routine is my belief that Many entrepreneurs start businesses because their goal is freedom and they want to be able to spend their time how they want to spend it around the people they want to spend it with doing the things that they want to do. I mean, that's the reason you start a business. If you don't want freedom or control over the environment within your life, well, then you're generally not going to start a business to become an entrepreneur. And isn't the goal to be able to create an environment for yourself where you can focus on your health, spending time with your family and being actively engaged in your business? Isn't that the point? If you're thinking long term, I'm going to work 80 hours a week, 100 hours a week forever. And is that a destination worth chasing? Absolutely not. And at the same time, imagine I'm one of those guys that we're in our 11th year of business with Chris. We had a business before this one was five years. I mean, let's just say 16 years. And for about 15 of those years, worked an average of about 70 to 80 hours a week. 
And Jessica, you know this really for the past decade, how many times did we work seven days a week, Saturday and Sunday, especially before the girls were born every single day, taking all this risk, all this stress for years and years and years and years trying to figure this stuff out that, okay, isn't the goal that you get to a place where you no longer have to work that way and you could achieve the same or even greater results. Isn't that the whole point? So I listen to someone like that and I think, look, to some extent, you don't even want to address the must be nice people because anytime someone tells me that in our personal lives, I just cut them out immediately. I'm like, thank you for that sign. You said those three words, you're out. That's it. Gone. Delete. Gone from the contacts. I'm sorry to back up my iCloud. How'd you get this number? I don't even know. Okay. That's it. We're done. But I also recognize that there's people listening to this podcast that are at an earlier stage of their journey, or maybe they're working hard and they need help and they need some degree of clarity, but you have to choose your mentors wisely. And my goal was always to be the type of example that I would want to follow, right? So it's the whole reason we created a coaching program. Chris Coach exists because the goal of our clients and our firms is that they are chasing entrepreneurial freedom. They want to get to a place where they're not struggling, they're not suffering, that they're building the type of practice that enables them to have the freedom in their life that they want. Spending time around the people that they want, spending time with their family, being healthy in their lives, having financial freedom and growing a great practice. If you were following or listening to someone who's working 100 hours a week, 12 years in, talking about how much they're grinding, would you want to trade places with them? Probably not. And this has nothing to do with passion. This is more to do with the fact of like, are you actually evolving and growing and creating leverage within your organization? So that's my thought on the must be nice people. But to answer the question around delayed gratification, it's really about the fact that if you can focus on tomorrow, because tomorrow's going to come and then you're going to be at a place where you're going to look back and say, well, you know, I wish that my past self would have put some acorns away and would have done the types of things that were necessary that today I'd be living a great life. But What's the expression? Best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Second best time is today. You can start anytime. And then also, I will say that when you talk about delayed gratification, the most important thing to really realize with this stuff is that you do not have to win today. And in fact, anything that you see online, on the internet, on social media, that looks like some sort of overnight success is designed to take money away from you. It's nonsense. Because if you are seeking an uncommon result, and you want to be an uncommon individual. Let's look at a bell curve, right? You look at those at the bottom 10%, those in the top 10%. Obviously, if you're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, you're going to get the same types of results that everyone else is getting. So if you want uncommon results, I look at this stuff from the standpoint of you've got to be patient on the macro level. You're looking out five years, 10 years from today and impatient at the micro level of what's got to get done today, what's got to get done this week. You got to be moving quickly, right? So you can have a lack of patience for moving things forward on a day-to-day basis, but you've got to have a degree of patience when you look ahead in terms of the years, three years out, five years out. So you're making the right decisions. Because if you think that, hey, I popped out of law school, I'm a baby lawyer today, and then I'm going to have an eight-figure firm tomorrow, it's probably not going to happen. And many of the people say this somewhat respectfully, maybe even disrespectfully, that claim to have these eight-figure firms, here's the thing. There's not some placebo, double-blind study that evaluates where everyone's financial metrics are. And if more people would post them publicly, you'd get a sense that maybe not everyone's where they say they are. Because someone could say, I'm an eight-figure firm. Well, are you? Where's the proof? Where's the results? I've seen a lot of people that say they got hundreds of people within their organization, and literally, they are struggling. They are effed up. They are upside down. So sometimes a large organization doesn't necessarily mean that that's a profitable organization. Back to delayed gratification. Yes, that is what it takes. If you can't wait on that second marshmallow before you eat your first marshmallow, well, my friend, you're going to have a difficult time. Might not be for you. All right. Next, moving on, many successful individuals have a long history of learning, evolving, and iterating before they find their hit. 
Michael, do you have an example of a time in your journey where a previous failure laid groundwork for later success? Absolutely. But I also, in hearing this question, I approach failure a little bit differently. I don't really consider a failure a failure. There's only one way to fail, and it's when you quit, when you give up. Everything else is learning. And I don't say that to be cute. I say that because if I look back on our journey, it's a journey of evolution. So how you respond to, let's say, bad news, bad situations, or so-called problems really dictates the growth and progress that you make. So I find that great entrepreneurs respond to so-called bad problems in extremely creative ways that create leverage and are sometimes the best things that ever happened to them. And then I find that poor entrepreneurs, poor mentally and poor financially, respond to good news in a complacent way. They're like, we had a good week, we had a good month, they get lazier, okay? Whereas a great entrepreneur says, we had a great month, great. Let's look ahead to the next month. You look at some of the top, let's say, coaches in college football. When they win a national title and they're interviewing them, right as they won the national title, they're like, congratulations, Kirby Smart. Congratulations, Nick Saban. And they say, wonderful. We did great. And they're going to celebrate for about a day. And the next day, they're focused on the next one. That's how the greats think. That's how they operate. Back to the question. What was the question? (laughs) We got to keep this in. Yes. Do you have an example of a time Uh, in your journey? Okay, the journey. Yeah, well, absolutely. If you go back a couple businesses before all this, let's go back to, I don't know, 2009. Okay. I had bought a camera. I did not know anything about taking pictures. I figured this would be a nice lifetime skill to learn photography. So I'm taking pictures of flowers and plants and trees. And my goal every day was to take one great photo. Okay. So that's what I would do. I'd walk around. And then my buddy Brandon calls me up. He's a bartender at this nightclub. He's like, would you like to come by and take some photos? I'm like, look, number one, I've never taken photos of people. Number two, what do I know about the club? Okay. But I figured, look, this could be a little bit of variety. It might be fun to learn. So long story short, I'll save that whole story for another day. I got to keep some things for the summit, maybe. But long story short, out of that, my hobbies typically turn into businesses. It went from me taking pictures of flowers and plants to creating a photography company in the hospitality industry that would work with nightclubs, bars, restaurants, concert venues, Live Nation, and so on, that we would be out there all over Atlanta taking photos. And I remember we would take pictures in nightclubs. I'd be out there taking pictures in the club. And I couldn't even afford to get in the club. I couldn't afford the bottle service. And yet here I am taking pictures about 100 bucks a night, okay? Maybe 150 if it was like Saturday and like there was a big, like David Guetta or someone was playing. Maybe it was a little bit more budget. So you could look at that and I'd see people that were at the club that looked very successful to me. And I would think, man, one day, how cool would it be to be able to afford to get a table and bottle service, right? Now I look back in hindsight and say, look, if you're 40 years old and you got a table and bottle service in the club, something went wrong in your life. This is the last place on earth that you would find me today. But that you could say, okay, well, maybe that was a failure while my friends were growing in their careers and buying new homes and cars and just being promoted. And here I am taking pictures in nightclubs. I was supposed to go to medical school. But out of that came another business that we later recall Crisp that was in the corporate brand and video space, working like Coca-Cola, Verizon, Red Bull, et cetera. But before we worked Coca-Cola, Verizon, and Red Bull, we worked in the agricultural business, taking videos on farms, traveled across America. What a great opportunity. And someone could say, hey, man, compared to these agencies, here you are filming peanuts and watermelon in the middle of nowhere where you don't even have cell service. What kind of agency are you building here, man? But out of that evolution came focus on various niches, which eventually led to us working within the legal industry. And then someone could say, hey, what do you care about working with lawyers and law firms? And even then, we were not the first or the second or the third in this space. There was a lot of companies that have been around for 
10, 20, 30 years. We were a very small player. Nobody knew us. We knew who the hell we were. Lawyer videos before, you just get in front of a blue background, utter a few words, and there you go. Chop them up, make them FAQs, put them on the internet, done. And we said, nah, there must be a better way. Let's got to slow it down. Let's put some slow motion behind it. Okay, so you could say, okay, well, you know, maybe that was a failure. Then we expanded from video, legal video, to marketing. We had to place the content too. Because our clients are like, look, I got these great videos, but I don't, don't want to just play them at cocktail parties. I want to get the phone ringing. So we said, all right, we're going to post this stuff online. We're going to put it up on social media, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, et cetera. But social media was still one of these taboo things from law firms because they only had three letters in their brains, which was SEO. There's a lot of lobbying by the SEO industry that convinced law firms that SEO was the only form of marketing. And we decided to say, well, there's other ways. There's this platform that's kind of evolving. It's called like Facebook. And then there's another one called Instagram. There's another one called YouTube, which is like the second largest search engine. They're like, wait, search. Okay, cool. YouTube's fine by me. And still, we were still a relatively small company. Nobody knew about us. And then we evolved and started the coaching side of the business. People came out and said, this is a terrible idea. What do you guys do and stick to the videos? At that point, we're kind of building a name for ourselves as being a great legal video company. What are you guys doing coaching? Man, there's so many companies already doing coaching. Everybody's a coach. Why? Well, we saw that for our firms that were over a million in revenue, there really wasn't a home for them. Because a lot of these organizations focusing on small firms, kind of like the zero to 250 mark, zero to 500,000. And we said, look, we're not going to be the zero to one, but we are going to be the organization that helps firms scale and grow and optimize, especially once they get past that million dollar mark in revenue. Now the business exploded. People are like, oh, this is amazing. But you see all these evolutions. And in each one, one could get imposter syndrome and say, okay, maybe we're a failure. We're a very small player. But then as that starts to build, with each one becomes a learning experience, which becomes the next evolution. And that's how you go from taking pictures of flowers and plants to ultimately coaching lawyers all around the world. Overnight so, success, though, right? But overnight, I know, yeah. It was overnight, I guess, 11 years in the making. Right, right. That's true. All right, last one here. So you're going to love this one. It's often tempting to take shortcuts in personal development, seeking quick fixes instead of sustained growth. What are your thoughts on this approach? So what do we always do when we go to the airport? There's an opportunity. When we're walking in, I'm ready for this. Must be nice already. You walk into the Delta Sky Club. There's two ways into the Delta Sky Club, okay? There is the elevator, and then there's the stairs. What do we always do? Stairs. Always the stairs. And that's my thought also on success. Look, if you're going to take shortcuts, here's the problem with shortcuts. They look delicious and appetizing. But here's the downside. You don't build the foundation. And with any shortcut, there's always something that you lose. It's like you're trying to get that quick fix. And it's tempting. Someone could say, hey, double your business overnight. Become a real estate millionaire overnight. Become a great leader overnight. Hire a great person overnight. It's just so easy. That's what attracts people because you give people what they want. This has been a tough one for us over the years because we've always focused on, let's just give people what they need. Well, the trouble with that is you don't appeal to the lizard brain. And someone's going to say, well, why are you telling me it's going to be so hard and require all this commitment and all this time and effort and like require time investment and financial investment? Why? I don't want that. This person over here is telling me that I don't have to do anything. I could just become an eight figure, nine figure firm just because I click my heels or say Beetlejuice three times. And that's what it is. But the problem with all these different shortcuts is this is the stuff that lures people in that just becomes harder later to unwind and you keep chasing the next shortcut because more time is passing and you're like, well, that didn't work, then this didn't work and you jump around from tactic to tactic to tactic. You never really gain any ground and you drown yourself in these nonsense tactics. And it's not to say that you shouldn't try certain things. It's just that where is the strategy behind this? And instead, I would look at and say, well, who are the people I want to learn from? I want to learn from people that are living their life the way that I want to be living my life, let's put it that way, that have proven experience and that are building the type of organization that I want to model. 
I want to learn from that. This person just popped up on the internet. I don't know who they are. Anybody can run ads. Anyone can do those things. We run ads. It's easy. A 12-year-old can run a Facebook ad. They're not going to stop them. Or maybe they'll stop them. Maybe it's like you got to be like 16 or something, maybe 18. But the point is anybody can run ads and anyone can say anything. So this is where it becomes much more important to be discerning. And if it sounds too good to be true, it always is. Not like it sometimes is. It always is. And some of the greatest mistakes that I've made in my life was when oh, this has no downside. This sounds great. This has no opportunity cost. This just sounds amazing. I got to do it. I got to invest. What happens next? I lose all my money. Oh, wow. Okay. So now if there's only upside and there's no downside and it looks easy and it happens fast, just keep scrolling. Just keep scrolling. And anyone that you're going to meet or speak with that's actually built something sustainable, a sustainable organization, a really successful organization, you ask them about their journey, what's it going to sound like? There was a season in my life where I was working seven days a week, a hundred plus hours a week where I was working nonstop. I had to be able to put myself in a situation or an environment where I didn't have distractions. It required a lot of risk, required a lot of investment. I didn't have payoff for a really long time. I had this failure. I had this failure, this failure. This person screwed me over. This is where I lost out on this deal. I lost out on this opportunity. And then eventually I got there. That's what it is. It's really, 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 really hard. I didn't say it's impossible. I mean, obviously it's extremely possible, but it's more possible when you're not constantly distracted by all the nonsense and trying to find all the shortcuts and saying like, look, it's like you go to the gym and someone's telling you, well, you want these abs, right? Well, you don't have to worry about a caloric deficit. The only way to actually burn fat is to consume less calories than you burn. Don't worry about that. Take this pill or rub this cream on your stomach or whatever. And they're like, well, I took this pill and I dropped five pounds over the course of a week. The next week they got it all back. Why did that happen? Well, it's probably because it was all water. It was a diuretic, right? So they're just like psh, water weight gone, but they didn't make any actual lasting change. Same thing. Pop yourself up on some Ozempic and you say, oh, I'm losing some weight on that Ozempic. It makes that semaglutide. It makes me not want to eat. But then what happens? Eventually you say, okay, cool. I lost the 10 pounds. You know, I set out to lose 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds, 50 pounds, hundred pounds, doesn't matter. Okay. And I'm not saying there's not some benefits to this, but then what happens? You get off this stuff and you get it all back. Why? Because you didn't make any lifestyle changes because they didn't learn about proper ways to eat and nutrition and tracking calories and macros. Maybe the exercise wasn't there to support it. There wasn't actually that health style approach that you just took the shortcut. My point with this is that it is much easier to sleep at night from my experience when you don't take the shortcuts and you actually build the foundation the right way. And if you do take the shortcuts, one day you will be exposed and it will be on a day that you do not expect. And then everything will fall like a house of cards. And it's the little things. It's like the little paper cuts that will destroy your business. And if you don't want to have that real imposter syndrome, take the stairs. There is no elevator to success. Stairs only. And take the stairs in real life too. Perfect closure for that one. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with Michael Mogul. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that we can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of Michael's book absolutely free at gamechangingattorney.com. Number two, you can shoot Michael a text at 404-531-7691 and ask him any question you'd like. You might just hear the answer on the next episode. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it will help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on this episode, see the show notes in your podcast app or visit legalpodcast.com.